try to get this thing right where I want it. All right. I think I'm good to go here. That's where I want to be. I think it is. So, excellent. <clears throat> but, uh, uh, all right. I'm trying to get my brain in order here, as you can tell, right? I, yeah, I need, Brother Chris brought me some coffee. I need it, I think. I need some more. I've had a couple cups already, and uh, I made a pot around 5 o'clock, and I didn't drink all of it. I had a, a cup anyway, and then we just had another one. That was good. Good. I think I'm ready for another one. So, anyway, thank the Lord for that. I'm glad we live in a nation that uh, kind of sets aside a time for mothers and fathers. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's sad because we're living in a culture that has totally minimized both roles and confused both roles and upended, like the world does, totally gets out of, out of order what those roles are. And uh, they're a very important role, I tell you what. I mean, we can't say enough about that. We know they're important because God, God, you know, created those roles. It was His idea. And I think it uh, is probably the, uh, the understatement of, of all time to say that whatever God creates is probably pretty important, right? pretty big thing. And uh, we're not going to look at any of this today, but I just had some... I was thinking about this last last day and last night. I almost had a message half written on Mother's Day for today, and I ditched it and went back to Ephesians. So we we won't. <laughs> I just I didn't feel led to go that way today. And um, but there's there's I tell you what the Lord has a lot to say about that. And the the world really messes up the role of a mother, right? Most moms today are just enablers. This is what the, this is what society teaches. You're almost like an enabler, you know. Have you ever you ever you ever noticed every guy in prison, his mama said, "Oh, he's a good boy. He he didn't do that, right?" And all the evidence and the video and the law says, "Yeah, he did." <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's a wonderful thing of a mother. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's a that's how God made them. It's a wonderful thing. But there is a greater role that God has for the mother, right? That's even beyond that. And um, I. I have no plan on really getting into that today, but I, I will. I will uh, encourage you to go read Proverbs chapter six, when it says that you know, um, you know, forget not the commandment of your father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Mothers have a law. Mothers have a law. Fathers have commandments. Mothers have a law. Now, if if the one of the other Healy's were here, Doug or David, they would. Uh, they would understand this because it was another lawyer who explained this to me. He said, commandments are general. I said, what is the difference between commandment and law? It seems like the same thing. He said, oh, that's easy. And he said, commandments are generalities. Laws are the minutia of the detail of the generalities. Laws are what, how you carry out the generalities. And what does a mother do on a day-to-day basis when she's at home with children? Dad sets a general direction for the home. I'm talking in a, in a godly home. Even, even in an ungodly home, dads still have general directions. And all day long, mom is saddled with, don't do that. Don't do that. Nope. Yep. Nope. Yep. Yep. Nope. Nope. All day long, right? Nope. Yep. Right. Don't lie. Well, I didn't lie. Well, you're deceiving. That's lying. Well, I didn't, you know, all day long. What are you doing? The, the, the details, the law. 
Mothers have a law, and children are told not to forsake the law of their mother. What am I saying? Huge role in the home. Massive. Over the years, some of you have lived long enough to watch the pendulum change on who to blame for, for, for the problem in the home, right? For, for years, it was all mom. <laughs> then years ago, it's all dad, right? And it just seems to go back and forth. But you know what I love in God's economy? Everybody comes into account who's at fault, right? God deals with everybody. He brought Adam in, he brought Eve in, and he brought the serpent out. And they were all dealt with and they, were all, they, are, they all had a curse come down on them because of their choices and their actions. And uh, the same in the home. Dad, boy, when we get to Father's Day, you know, we can, we can rail on a dad. A lot of, 70, do you know 70% of black homes have no father? 70% of the black home has no father. 60-some percent of those in the black community are born out of wedlock. It's, it's sad. It's It's incredible. And, and the fathers, as we know, fathers play a massive role in the home and necessary. Here's, the, here's what I'm saying. Both are necessary and both have their role and their responsibility. And moms, you have a huge role. You say kids are out. You got grandkids. You got grandkids. You know what the Bible says about Timothy? Remember what Paul said about Timothy? And that from a child that has known the Holy Scriptures, whom thy mother, right, Lois, and thy grandmother, Eunice, have taught thee. Paul, Timothy had a mom and a grandma in his life that taught him righteousness and the Word of God. So when the time came and the gospel came, boy, he just believed the Word of God, right? He believed the Bible. He had already been taught that. You have a huge role to play, right? You say, well, the kids didn't turn out like I thought they would. Hey, they have a free will. They have a free will. Yep. And uh, you are never, listen, you're going to never have better parenting qualities than God. Think about that. You will never have better parenting qualities than God. And God said to Israel, and yet you still rebelled. Yeah, they have a free will. But know this. Don't, don't let the world minimize the place, the rightful, godly, biblical place of a mother. And uh, you, what does a mom do? She, you notice, uh, you, can go to, you can go to Proverbs chapter 30. I was looking at that last night, Proverbs 30. And uh, the mother of King Lemuel. We don't know who Lemuel is. It's not Solomon. Right? We don't know who it is. Have no idea who that is. Right? But his mother taught him. And his mother gave him an outline of how to be a good king. He said, uh, he said, don't give your, she said, don't give your strength to women. That's a whole, that's a whole thing there. Don't give over to, to wine and strong drink. It, it, ruins your, it ruins your ability to think. And she says, watch after the poor. But watch, two-thirds of Proverbs, she details what kind of a woman to find. Mothers have a huge role in, number one, in their sons, showing them what a godly woman is. Right? This is what you look for, son. And not only is it, it, is, it is a checklist for, the, for, a, for a young boy to go when he's looking for a wife, it's also an outline for the young woman what she should be for the right one to find her. You know, uh, I believe it, I, I, it probably wasn't him who coined it, but it was uh, um, um, Curtis Hudson said, uh, saw a quote from him. I know it wasn't original with him probably, but anyway, it was good. He said, uh, you don't attract what you want, you attract who you are. And if you're not attracting the right things, change you. Physician, heal thyself, right? You need to change yourself first if you're, if you're attracting the wrong things. And uh, I love Proverbs 31 because it was from a mother. God saw fit, right, to put this in the Proverbs. Inspired, it is now. It is the inspired word of God. 
And this wonderful mother taught her son who became a king. We don't know what king it was. And had a wonderful outline of what it is. And she was teaching. She was teaching. She was educating. She was directing. She had a law that she gave to her son. Huge role. Don't let the world mess it up for you, okay? You have a, you have a wonderful role. Some of the greatest men and women in our nation got there because of their mother. Their father too, but listen, moms have a huge role. They absolutely do. And don't let the world minimize that for you. Kids are out of the house. You got grandkids maybe. Go after them. You don't have grandkids. You know what the Bible says? That the older women are to teach the younger women in the church, right? Well, who's that? Well, hmm. Audra, you are it. You're the, uh, doesn't make you feel good, don't it? Yeah. Amen. I was, I was going to say something real smart out of look like Micah or Jim or, you know, because, you know, this is what guys do. They just call other guys girls. You know, you're a bunch of girls, right? But no, that doesn't work, right? Micah's like, what? <laughs> anyway, praise the Lord. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for a nation. And um, it's sad where it is. But when this Mother's Day was brought about, think of how strong the home was then. And it was a strong home because of godly mothers and godly fathers. And we're thankful for that. And we're thankful for the heritage that we do have. And, uh, but it can be, listen, that mantle can be taken up again. Yeah, it just takes a few to take it up again. And, uh, and uh, just be, be the type of mother that God has intended you to be. And don't let the world tell you how to do it. Because obviously they're batting records about zero, right? So, amen. All right, hey, we're talking about the Exodus this morning. Exodus chapter 12, right? God is bringing them out of, God is bringing them out of uh, Egypt. The 10th plague has come. They are walking out with a, with a kind of a, with a high hand, the Bible says. They're high stepping it out of there. They got a lot of confidence. They're leaving there loaded down with, with stuff, with gold and jewels and all sorts of things that they're going to use later to make a bunch of golden calves. That's going to go awry. But anyway, God left them. Uh, listen, friends, some of the things that God gives us, they don't always, we don't always use them as God intends. God never intended them to use it that way. And, uh, boy, they did. But they're going out of Egypt now. They're going out. With great assurance, the Egyptians are pushing them out. They want them gone. Their nation, their, their country is absolutely, utterly destroyed. And, and they, they just want them out of there. And, and we saw here the judgment upon Egypt is complete. And we're leading now into chapter 12 and verse 31, the journey of the Israelites. Would you notice verse 31? And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as ye have said. And Pharaoh, he was absolutely crushed by this tenth plague because his house, like all of the other households in Egypt, saw the death of their firstborn. The deals were over. There was no more dealing with Moses. There was no more uh, trickery. There was no more, you know, s- slick salesman trickery of like, okay, fine, and then ah, we'll do the old switcheroo and we'll get you later. No, all dealing was over. Death had shown up, and it, they realized, okay, this is serious. Right? You can grow another crop again. The corn can come back. The wheat can come back, right? The frogs they eventually disintegrate, and the buzzards eat them, and whatever. The lice, okay, you can get. Listen, your, your son's not coming back. This is serious. 
And now with every Egyptian home absolutely stricken with grief, he calls Moses in the dead of the night and he says, get out. Get out of here. Just go do what God told you to do. We don't want you in Egypt anymore. We don't want you here anymore. And that's a, that's a, that's a pretty good place to be, right? Yeah. If you're Moses and the Egyptians. Can I tell you, God has a good way of moving man's free will to get into his will. God has a great way to do it. Remember Jonah, right? Didn't want to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was to the east about 600 miles or more. And he went about, he was going to go to Tarshish, which was the western coast of Spain, right? He got a ship to, yeah, he he went, he, he was going as far away from the will of God as was humanly possible in that day. Right. That's like saying, God, God wants you to go to China. And you said, well, I'm getting on the SpaceX flight to the moon. That's how far away I'm getting from it. Right. You know what happened on the way up that flight? <laughs> They'd be throwing you out. Right. And if you landed well with that pair, however, hopefully you landed well, you'd be going, OK, I think I'll I think I'll go. Right. God has a way of getting us to move in his will. Remember, the Ark of the Covenant was stolen by the Philistines and they had the they had the Ark. Right. And what happened? God smote them, right? God gave them, uh, we don't know what in their privates it said, in their private parts, that they said, okay, get this thing out of here, right? God has a way of moving us uh, to follow and to go in his will. And it wasn't just Pharaoh who sent the Israelites out. It was the Egyptian people as well. I'm telling you, you talk about unity in a nation. This country was unified, they were unified in one thing, get them out, get them out here. Wouldn't it be great if we as a church were unified and getting out of our lives the thing that ought not to be there? That'd be a wonderful thing. That'd be a powerful thing. It really would be. The Egyptians hadn't really believed God's warning. Some had. They came in waves of believing and unbelief and belief and every unbelief. But everything changed when God's judgment became personal. Listen to me. It's easy to watch other people go through the judgment of God and go, boy, that ain't good. I better check my life, right? But boy, it's a whole other thing when it's yours personal. Amen? Boy, I tell you what, you come out of there with conviction. You come out of there with some Holy Ghost conviction saying, we're not going that way again. We're not doing that again. That's, that is against God. May God help us to have Holy Ghost conviction of the things that God doesn't want us, the things that he's moving us away from. Look at verse 33 in Exodus 12. The Bible says, And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We be all dead men. Now, now realize this. We're reading this, right, thousands of years later. Isn't that amazing when you think about it? Yeah. We're reading this thousands of years later. Do you realize these Egyptians didn't know this was the 10th plague? We're like, oh, 10 plagues. The Egyptians weren't like, oh, here's number 10. Whew, that's it. They said, we'd be dead. They didn't know what was coming. All they knew, I mean, and you wonder if they stopped. And You want to talk about recognizing the hand of God. Nobody died in the home except the firstborn son, right? You think they would have had to put something together. This doesn't happen by chance. Somebody is behind this. Somebody has orchestrated this. Somebody who has the power over life and death did this. right? And they didn't know if anything was coming next. They had no clue. And look at their words, we be all dead men. 
we're in trouble. How many of you as kids, you had warning after warning and, and uh, maybe a dad had gone to work and you had a bunch of warnings over the last few weeks about stuff and all of a sudden it was the end of it all and mother said, wait till your father gets home. And he said, we're dead. We're dead. You knew it, right? You were dead men. You were a dead girl. You, were, you knew life was coming close. I mean, your life was passing before your eyes real slowly. I mean, you're recollecting everything. You're saying goodbye to your friends, right? Your, your dog, all of the, your cat, whatever you had. You're, you're, getting, you're getting your house in order. Yeah, because you knew judgment was rolling around real quick. And it was not going to be good. The Egyptians pressed upon the Israelites to leave. They wanted nothing more to do with Israel. They wanted nothing to do with the God of Israel. And he sent them out. He pressed them to go. But you know who the real emancipator was? It wasn't Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, go. The Egyptians said, go. Let me give you enough to sustain you so you can go and not come back. Right? We want to give you enough. Right? Sometimes you want to give your kids just enough so they go but not come back. <laughs> right? Right? Here's enough to get started. Click, right? <laughs> Don't come back. Figure it out. Best thing you can do for them. Figure it out. You'll, we figured it out. 6,000 years of humanity has figured it out. You'll figure it out, right? And uh, they gave them, they, they wanted them out there. But wait, the real emancipator, the real releaser, it was not Egypt and it was not the Pharaoh. It was not the Egypt. It was God. God was the emancipator. God was the one who set free. Look at 40 and 42. Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night to be much observed in the, unto the Lord for bringing them out of the land. The Lord did it. This is the night of the Lord I've lost it this is the night yes here it is this is that night of the Lord to be observed of all the children of Israel and their generations God has promised the impossible and here it is he came to pass it came to pass yeah. 600,000 men maybe possibly a million and a half in total began their very first steps out of the land of Egypt. Warren Worsby said this, promises were fulfilled that night that were made to Abraham centuries before. God kept his word. It was the declaration of a holy God. I'm going to carry you out. He did exactly what he said. And not only that, secondly, we see the direction, the direction of a providential God. It was God's direction. Look at chapter 13. And look at verses 17 and 18. And I love this. Because God's plan for Israel didn't stop at just getting them out of bondage. Do you realize this tonight? Today, the, the plan of God for your life wasn't just to save you. That is where it started. The plan, for God, the plan of God for your life had to have a beginning and it had to start at salvation. But so many people believe, well, I'm saved and that's it. Well, hey, kid, I got religion. I'm good. Right? You know, I, I did this and I did that. And they live like the devil. They live like the world. They have no appetite for the things of God. They have no hunger for the things of God. They have no desire for God. They, they you know, you talk to them and they, they, they wouldn't, they, you know, Bible, Bible vocabulary is not a part of their life. I'm telling you, we ought to have a Bible vocabulary. Not, not, you know, I know, I know there's things we don't tell the lost world because they don't understand it. But I mean, you tell, you talk to some people and, 
And my goodness, they, they try to talk about salvation and you can tell they haven't read their Bible ever. They, they say little quippy things that like, uh, it's not really what it says, right? Yeah. What happened? They got out of the land of Egypt, but they're still sitting at the border. They've never gone anywhere. They've not even gone over there. Maybe they've gotten over the Red Sea, but they're, and, you know, but they're sitting there in the edge of the wilderness and they haven't even made it to Sinai yet. They haven't even seen the presence of God at Sinai. They haven't seen anything yet. God did not intend for you to get saved and to stay there. God intended you that salvation would be the, the gateway, the portal, the entry into the relationship with him to the, to the goal and the plan and the purpose that he has for your life. What was the ultimate goal for Israel? Number one, the promised land, we know that. But what was the ultimate goal? It was the birth of the Messiah. God told Abraham, right, I'm going to give you a lineage, I'm going to give you a son, a son of promise. And what was going to come from that son? The seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15. There was a goal. There was a goal. Some of you, listen, some of you, God's trying to pull along and you're just digging your feet in, right? I, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, right? Like somebody I know said, I, I don't really want to know any more about God because I'm afraid I'm going to be disappointed. Yeah. Well, sorry about that, but you're not going to be. Trust me, you won't be disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. Look at verse 17 and 18, chapter 13. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of Philistines, although it was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war, and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. God had a purpose. This, listen, this was the providential direction of God. They could have gone a faster way. They could have gone a closer way. But the, listen, the hurdles on that way, would have discouraged them so quickly they would have just returned to Egypt. right? Listen, the, thing, the things that God allows in your life, would you remember this? It, there is a way that would have been much worse that God knew and he said, no, we're not going to go that way. I know this seems hard, but trust me, if I'd led you this way, which might have got you there quicker, right? might have been in a quicker way, uh, two things, you might have returned and you wouldn't have ever got to where I wanted you to go. I'm so thankful for the providential hand of God. You, listen, you may think what you're going through is a great deep valley, and it is. But listen, there could be a harder way to go. And God didn't want you to go that way. He has a reason that you're experiencing the things that you're experiencing. He has a reason for the, for the, for the, for the valley that you'll walk through. He has a reason for the turmoil that you see come through your life. He has a reason for the upset and the disappointments and all of the things. He has a reason behind every one of them because he's trying to get you to a promised land, a will that he has for your life, a place of rest for you in him. He's trying to get you there. And he know, watch, he knows what we need to prepare us, to mold us, to make us, to occupy the promised land that he has for us. So the God who delivers us is also the God who leads us. They were free from slavery, but that wasn't the end of it. There's a great story of a man, a former slave by the name of George Leal. He is the first American missionary. He was, I don't know, 40 or 50 years before William Carey. George Leal was a slave in, Alabama, in uh, Georgia, 
around Savannah, Georgia. And uh, he would go with, the slaves would go with their owners to church and they went to a, the, the owner of them, that plantation went to, a, went to a Baptist church there and George Leal got saved. And he got saved at that church and he began to go out and preach at all the different plantations and his owner allowed him to go preach and allowed him to go preach and eventually there came a day where the church ordained him and his owner freed him, just freed him, Why? not for the purpose of just being free, but he freed him to go out and to minister and to preach and to pastor. George Leal eventually went to the island of Jamaica and in eight years almost won the entire island of Jamaica to the Lord. He wasn't just free to be free. He was freed for a purpose. He was free for, he had a great purpose. Long before William Carey came along, an American slave, George Leal, was the first American missionary that went out of America. And uh, listen, we have been freed. We are in slavery. We were in slavery, right? We have been freed for a purpose, though. We have been freed for a goal, not just to to just uh, go out and do what we will. God has a purpose and a plan for us. For by grace are you saved, it says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and 10. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Right. I'm thankful for the grace of God. But listen, God has saved us he has saved us to be, as, and, and we are His workmanship. We have a purpose, and we have a goal. God has a goal for your life. See, seriously? Yeah. He has a land for you to dwell in. He has a place for you to dwell. You say, where is that? What is that? Well, it's whatever God's will is for your life. I, I've heard this taught and preached often, and I don't think they were, they meant well, they, they always meant well, they did, they meant well. They were encouraging those young men to, to just launch out into the ministry of God was calling them. But they would say things like this, the highest calling there is, how beautiful are the feet of them, you know, that preach the gospel of peace. And he, the highest calling of God there is, is the call to preach, the call to be a missionary, the call to be, they meant well, but it's not true. The highest calling of God for your life is what He calls you to do. Yeah. Listen, friend. God told, God, God told uh, Ananias, I have chosen Paul to suffer many things for my sake. And the ministry is a ministry of suffering. You know what I tell some young men who say they're not called to preach? One I know especially, I said, go get a job. Get out of Bible college, just Stop. I don't know why you're there. Go get a job. If you're called to God, you can't get a job. <laughs> okay? It's not going to happen. But listen, if, if, if you're not called of God, go make money. Do what God wants you to do. Get plugged in where God wants you to get plugged in where you are. And whatever God has called you, that is the highest calling of God for you. That is the best place you could be. It is the best place you could be. And, uh, and, uh, and if you're called to ministry and you do something else, you've taken a lower... Anybody, if you do anything that God's not called you to do, you're at a lower place than what God has called you to do, right? And so we have been saved. We have been born again. We have been brought out of bondage and slavery uh, for the purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a job, absolutely. Notice this, though. Really unique route. We just read this. He led them 
through the desert. Not up a main highway, right? I mean, some people like driving through the country. Yeah, I was coming from Republic yesterday morning. I used telling the men I come through my little crossway up Holder Road. Holder Road usually at the, when all we have rain like this, there's rain across, there's water across the road and running through. And I'm, you know, my truck's big and I just blow through it and it's a lot of fun and water goes everywhere. It's cool, right? And uh, and uh, but but I went through yesterday and I'm telling you, man, it was rough. Gravel was all over the road. The, the water had been up so high. I mean, it was the gravel in parts was probably a foot high, just all over the just creek rock everywhere. Of course, I remember, it was awesome. You know, cool. But some people don't like that. Right? Yeah. My wife wouldn't like that as much. Right? I always I always find these short ways to go. I'm like, oh, it's quicker if you just go. I mean, really, it's due west from here. If you stay on this road and said you're going to go to Clever and you're going to go up to Republic and you're going to go Highway 60, and she'll say, but I like that road. It's fat. It's it's a nicer road. And I'm like, okay, drive 300 miles out of your way. I'll go the straight route. And what's the straight route? <laughs> Creeks and curves and bumps. And she'll still beat me, right? Because she drives too fast. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, that's right. She quit doing that. So, <laughs> yeah. Some people don't like the scenic route, right? Sometimes it's hard. Brother Bob, can you imagine driving that 18-wheeler, that, uh, that you know, and you had some highways? Boy, it was nice driving. Boy, you might got into Dallas, and you're like, I don't like this. Yeah. A friend of my dad said he had a run down in Dallas. He had to back down this alley, and it was so tight he couldn't open his truck door. He had to crawl out of it, and uh, he could get that semi you know, right in the city, down this alley, back the whole way down in there, climb out his window. Now, that ain't fun, right? That's it is interesting, yeah. But you know what? You get that route every day, it gets boring. You're like, okay, here we go again, right? No, listen, the, the nice highways, it's nice, right? It's faster. It's maybe less dangerous at times, right? And it's less you have to think about. But, 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 but the highway doesn't always teach you what you need to know. Yeah. You take the highway and you don't always see the cool little cabin that you didn't know was there for all these years. It's like, oh, that's cool. That is a log. That is a log cabin. Where'd that come from? Right? You all see its horses and these. You learn how to navigate differently. Also, listen. God didn't want Israel going up the the paved road. He wanted to go through the wilderness. That was God's choice. Yeah. Can I tell you, if you're in a wilderness today that is not of your making, it is the purpose of God. If you see a way in life that looks easier, you're like, "Well, I wish I was going that way." What are you talking about? I wish I had that job. I wish I had that house. I wish I had that money. I wish I had that. Fill in the blank. Why do we look at those things? Because it looks like a paved road. While we're straggling out in the desert. Listen, friend, God has you in the desert for a purpose. Enjoy it. Enjoy the desert. Yes, you can enjoy the desert, friend. Right? Remember what God told told uh, Hosea and Gomer. He told Hosea that he was telling Israel that when repentance comes back, even though you can't change what you've done in your life, you can't change the damage. You can't what, what, you know. You can't change all of the mess ups you've done in the past. He can still give you streams in a desert where you are and have a relationship with God in the midst of a desert that maybe you've even made out of your own life. You can still have that sweetness with God. But listen, sometimes it's his plan. Yeah, 
it's his providence. He's put you there on a purpose. And learn to enjoy the desert. Deserts are beautiful in their own way, aren't they? Some people hate them, right? And, uh, but if you look for beauty, boy, I tell you what, there's some just stunning beauty in a desert. Sun comes up and those purples and reds and all of these colors that go through the mountains and the hills, oh, it's barren. There's not water. Everything in there sticks and pricks and cuts and hurts and hot, and right? And it doesn't seem like there's anything. I lived out in Phoenix. for. I'd go out there quite a bit when my sister and her lived there for 12 years or so, and I'd go out there a lot. And sometimes you get kind of anxiety attacks looking for green grass. It's like, I need green. Where is green, you know? And uh, But, uh, you know, it's got its own beauty. It really does. Yeah, people live there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Some people don't like it. Some people. But uh, the God who delivers us, listen, he leads us. It's his providential hand. Say, I didn't, I, like, I, I, didn't, I didn't think my life was going to be here. No, understand, sometimes we're, where we are, we have our own dis- choices, amen? Let's be honest, we are. Yeah. But there's some things in our life that we couldn't, we couldn't change that God allowed. And he's got us there for a reason. Absolutely. Yeah. They went a unique route. Where am I at? I lost, I lost track. So, what time is it? We need to probably, I'll finish up here. How's that? Good place to stop is uh, right, right here. Let me, let, me, let me give you this. Psalm 119, verse 133. The psalmist said, Order my steps in thy word, and let not iniquity have dominion over me. God doesn't take us on the quick, easy route. Listen, God is... is the, the, the sooner we learn and understand that God is not in a rush... No, we are in a rush. God's not. God's never in a hurry. He knows exactly the timing for everything. And uh, He knows this, that sometimes the fast way is much more destructive. Yeah. I'd love to drive the Autobahn someday. Oh. Save up money, rent a Porsche or a Ferrari that'll go 300 miles an hour and just hammer down <laughs> as fast as I can. Man, Alan, would you like that? Yes. That'd be, hey man, that'd be odd. Now, I'm, we're about to get in spirit here. That would be awesome. Yeah, I know Sherry would love it. No tickets, finally. <laughs> man, just, just, I'd love it. But you know, when they do have a wreck on the Autobahn, it ain't pretty. I mean, it's, it's piled up. It's a mess. Yeah. And I would like that. But listen, sometimes the fast lane ends in destruction. Yeah. Let me just end with this on the providential hand of God. The Bible says that a man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Right. I went over to Joplin one Saturday morning to check on a job. This guy had this really cool race car that he wanted painted. And um, it was a 1951 Henry J. It was cool. had a big block in it. I mean, this thing was awesome. Purple, bright purple. Kind of like a plum crazy purple that you would have seen on a, an old Cuda or something, you know. And uh, so I, it was a Saturday morning, checked it out. And we 
came up to an idea of what it would cost some of this and that, got all the details. And uh, so I, I headed out, and for some reason I stopped, tried to find a gas station get something to drink. It was still, you know, 9, 10, 10 o'clock, maybe 10.30. And, uh, and, and I felt kind of bad because I, like, spent too much time trying to find just a gas station to get something to drink. You know, I went to this one, and eh, that's not right. You know, finally found my way to one, and it took me more time than I was hoping. I got my drink, got in the truck, and just, here I go, tooling along. And as I'm coming I-44 eastbound between Joplin and hadn't made it up to Mount Vernon or anything yet, probably not even, probably not even up to Sarcoxia yet, I don't believe. And uh, and I notice up ahead of me, there's you know vehicles stop. They're kind of in the median. Then you, as I get closer, I see smoke. As I get closer, there's a, a massive accident. Now I got to confess something. I almost always driving. I love driving on the left lane because I mean I'll get over in the right lane, but I like the left lane because there's nobody in front of me. It's not even that I'm going 90 miles an hour, 100 miles an hour, like other people. I just don't like people in front of me. All right, I'm a control freak. All right, and so um, normally I'm I'm in that left lane just flying along, and I uh, the speed limit, you know, flying along the speed. Limit. And uh, I I noticed as I got up there, here's all these cars, in the median. There's people out of the cars holding other people laying out in the median. That left lane, listen to me, that left lane, there was a family, grandparents and grandchildren that were headed eastbound on that Saturday morning when another lady got on going back to Oklahoma, a lady in her 70s in a Dodge pickup truck, for some reason, somehow two miles ahead, got on to the eastbound off-ramp and drove westbound onto the eastbound lane and hit that car head on. I drove by and the man was dead. He was hanging out of the car dead. He was gray. He was gone. The grandfather, he was dead. Yeah. The kids were in the, the, they were out in the median. People were holding them. Cars were stopped all over the place. I pulled off. There's not much I could have done. The police hadn't even arrived. It was that, it was that soon. The police hadn't even arrived. And in my mind, I'm going... I'm finding a bottle of water. Ten minutes, fifteen minutes. I'm thinking. I'm feeling bad because you know I'm just wasting time here for a stupid thing of water, right? And I realize I would have been in that left lane. Yeah. It might not have been them. It might have been me. No, I'm not being. I'm not being sensational. This is a. I mean, this is just a fact of time. And, and you watch time and all of that stuff. It's not hard to put it together. And here's what, what you realize. God orders our steps. The older we get, isn't it true we learn to not get so upset about delays and detours? Because the more we've seen the hand of God in the past going, I think maybe the Lord has stopped me from something. Yeah, I'm not as good as, it, as I hope to be, but I'm a lot better at it than I used to be. <laughs> yeah. Order my steps in thy word and let not iniquity have dominion over me. Listen, so often we don't understand why God leads the way He does. We see a more direct route. I could have already been there, right? If I had just gone to college, if I had just done this, if I had just done that. Maybe God didn't want you to go to college. You know how many people wrecked their life in a college? Right. What are we saying? Well, we come back to the same theme over and over again. Trust Him. Trust Him. He knoweth the way that I take, David said, and when I, uh, Job said, and when I am tried, I shall come forth as gold. He knows what he's doing. Amen. Trust him. Trust him this week. Whatever comes in your life this week, trust him. 
If you see a way that looks straighter, trust them. Faster, trust them. Seems like you're going too slow, trust them. Just trust them. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your providential hand. Thank you for how you lead us, even though we don't see it, and that we'll trust you that you are fully involved in our life. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.